Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Mickey. I'm a worship arts coordinator at Baylife Church. And I'm Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor at Baylife Church. And we want to welcome you to the Stone Table. push record and then our eyes got really big and we're like, oh no, we actually have to talk. <laughs> yes. Well, here we are. Yeah, here we are. It's uh, another episode of The Stone Table. It is. Today, it's uh, going to be just you and me. It is. You and I having a conversation across. It's not a stone table. Have we Have we let that cat out of the bag on the podcast? Yeah, I'm sure you guys have seen uh, on any post that we might have made on, on our brand new Instagram or yeah. uh, on the Facebook, uh, on the resources group. But our, sta- our, our table is it's, not stone. It's plastic. But it's why plastic. why do we talk about a stone table, Mickey? Do do people know that, that we're mm. not just pretending we have cooler furniture than we do? Right, right. So for those of you who are not familiar with the stone table, um, the... The origin of mm-hmm. our namesake mm-hmm. uh, comes from uh, the book by C.S. Lewis, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It does. Um, the stone table is the table in which they the, the white witch sacrifices Aslan. Right. And in sort of the narrative of Narnia, it's a picture of Christ uh, being offered up on the cross in yeah. our place uh, as mm-hmm. Aslan died for the traitor Edmund. I just totally went full-blown nerd right yep. there. Yeah. It's the, it's probably one of the greatest books ever written. The the Chronicles of Narnia are a masterpiece. Without and a doubt. Anytime I engage anything related to Narnia, mm-hmm. I, I can't stop crying. <laughs> like I get yeah. like, like we we yes. we re we rewatched uh <laughs> The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the most recent version yeah, of it. That's right. Early on in quarantine, yeah, yeah. I made you watch the three Lord of the Rings movies. Yes. Which I I was misty eyed. Yeah, which also time. are masterpieces. Right, yeah. And then we watched The Chronicles of Narnia, That's Lion, the right. Witch, and the Wardrobe, and yeah. I, I cried. Oh, I did too. Yeah. It's just so good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you have to watch, before you can watch, I think it was released in 2008? Early 2000s, Early sure. 2000s is the remake. Um. But if you haven't seen the original like TV series, the BBC, the Lion, BBC the Vert, the wardrobe, you guys have to watch that. <laughs> it's just, oh man, it's so I awful, just, but exquisite. But like, it's untouchable. It is right. Yeah. It's like so. I don't even have words for it. It's it, just a must. It's it's a, it's a classic. Yeah, I almost want to call it antique. It's just so outdated that it's so good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And sometimes that's just better mm-hmm. to me uh, rather than try to kind of CGI things and right. um kind of make things look a little crazy. I mean, the characters in it, the BBC version are wearing like masks and it's costumes. all people in costumes and yeah. bad costumes. Yeah. Like like freshman art class paper mache yeah. costumes, which is just awesome. better it's you know so much it's just so much better yeah um so i definitely recommend watching that series first and then and then you've earned the right to watch the, <laughs> the right. remake from it, the early 2000s i think it's a disney a, a disney i movie, believe right? it is yeah, yeah. So. so yeah so, so anyway that's our namesake yeah so we're, we're talking across from one another uh with a plastic table in between us but yeah. this is the stone table podcast in honor of clive's staples lewis, lewis. and today we are tackling 
the Psalms. The Psalms. Uh, we, we don't have a guest for this show. Um, just we, Augustine. Yeah, it's just the cat who's sitting under the table, the little Aslan. Yeah, he's our little Aslan. He's chewing on the wires. So he's, uh, he's nothing like Aslan. He's more like the White Witch. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So, yeah, we're kind of keeping our fingers crossed that he doesn't chew on the microphone wires yeah. but he's the only guest we've got right now and since he doesn't have anything to contribute mm-hmm. uh it's just going to be travis and i yeah so we are talking about the psalms and and this i think is born out of uh, a couple things one is that over at the resources page for bay life we've started a new series of articles on the psalms yep so uh, our friend bobby varghese has an article coming out this week on psalm 23 I know you've got an article coming out on, which psalm are you writing about? Psalm 16. Psalm 16. I'm doing one on Psalm chapter 1, going with the very first one. There you go. Uh, and then we've got a, a bunch of other friends who are going to be writing as well, Andy Hardy, Rian and Ray. Yep. Um, so we've been thinking about the psalms lately yeah. and the importance of the psalms for the Christian life. But but as we kind of begin to dive into that, it's probably a, a good place to start is our first experience with the Psalms. So so do you remember your first encounter with the Psalms, Mickey? Yeah, I do. So when I was young, I had a, um, I don't know what to call this. It was kind of like a poster that hung above my bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was made out of like reeds or bamboo or something. But on it, it had a print of Psalm 23 okay. in Spanish, of course. Yeah. Um, and so my grandma Lily and I would read that before I went to bed every night. Mm. Um, she used to live with us. And so whenever she would tuck me in or my mom or my dad or whoever was um, saying good night, um, we would kind of recite the, the Psalm. And so I grew up with that above my bed. And so that, that was the very first Psalm that I uh, encountered. And, and I know a lot of our listeners are very familiar with Psalm 23. I know we've referenced it before in other episodes, but yeah, that's just one of the ones that I think a lot of people know and love, and sure, that happened yeah. to be my first exposure to to the Psalms. So I guess I'm curious for you as a worship leader, right? I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're on staff in the worship arts department at yeah. Bay Life, and you're leading worship what like four or five times a week. <laughs> so um, with the the Book of Psalms being uh, a songbook, ultimately, yeah. how how do they shape your your vision as a worship leader, how do they shape your approach to worship? Yeah. So the book of Psalms is very unique, right? It is the, it it just represents the worship of the people of Israel. Um, And when we look at the history of it, which we will in just a second here, um, we see that throughout so much time um, and different periods of times, um, we just see the, just the worship, and, and the, the cries and the prayers of the people of Israel. And so to me, uh, the Psalms are, are just a really good basis for our worship mm, and yeah. music in particular and, and art in the church and uh, sure. whether that's poetry or uh, visual art or music. Um, the Psalms are fundamental for our understanding, I think, yeah. of worship. It is the most referenced book by Jesus, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Jesus talks about the Psalms a lot. Yeah. And so obviously Jesus doesn't have a favorite book of the Bible, but if we can but, just go based on how, which one he quotes the most, it would be the book of Psalms. It's yeah. the book of Psalms, right? And yeah. so when I think about the Psalms uh, in terms of worship, uh, I just think of it as a really fundamental uh, basis for how we worship. Sure. Um, and how we even conceive of worship. Yeah, say. definitely. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on that. What about you? Yeah. How, how have you been exposed to worship? And, and you were also a musician. So sure, yeah. how has that um, correlated? Yeah. So, so I think um, 
my first heavy exposure to the book of Psalms probably came around high school, which is not to say that I, I hadn't interacted with the Psalms before, but I think the first time that I started to actually really pay attention to them mm-hmm. was in high school. I had started to play guitar. Uh, I started to try and sing, not not very well, but I was trying. <laughs> I was I was really trying to sound like Kurt Cobain from Nirvana. Oh, so man. I was like real grunge vocally, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, tearing my throat up. Um, Yikes. And uh, I had started to think of myself as a musician. So I, I started to kind of incorporate that into my identity. And I wanted people to see me as a musician. <laughs> and I remember my high school pastor at the time talking about the book of Psalms just being a, a, a songbook song and, yeah. and a collection of songs. And for me, I don't know if I'd ever heard that before. I probably had. Mm-hmm. But when he said it in high school, when I was already trying to think of myself in, in musical terms, I was like, man, this has to be my book. Like I have to, <laughs> I have to like this, this book. This is my book. Because I'm a musician, right? right and right. so I want to be an edgy sort of Bible musician with <laughs> tattoos and all sorts of corny stuff like that. Um, so that was probably my, the first time I started to think really heavily about the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, if I'm being honest, I don't feel like I came to really appreciate the Psalms until very recently. Um, You know, it's, I think I've mentioned this in preaching and teaching, but my dad was recently diagnosed with cancer and kind of came as a shock for everybody. You know, it was like this routine doctor's visit. And, and at the end he, he came out with a cancer diagnosis and man, we, we've spent a lot of time trying to process that. And as he begins treatment and, you know, by God's grace is going to come out on the other side of this hole and well, yeah. um, I found myself opening up the book of Psalms mm-hmm. with new eyes. I, I used to think that the Psalms were kind of like this emotional roller coaster where, you know, David's <laughs> on this high and then he's on this low oh. and, he, and he starts with how good God is. And then he ends with like, everyone's abandoned me. Yeah. And, and it didn't make sense. Even, even though I like the Psalms, they didn't make sense. But as I've processed this particular event and all of the emotions that come with it, the, the Psalms just make sense in, in yeah. a really unique way for me. And, Definitely. and I, I, at this point, I don't know that David is actually on any sort of a roller coaster that's different from just normal life. Right. David is just experiencing life in a fallen world. And so are all the other authors of the Psalms. So I would say first experience with the Psalms really came in high school, but I think, in the last two or three months, my eyes mm. have been opened afresh to the value of the Psalms in all seasons of life. Definitely. And so for this episode today, we are really wanting to get into the historical background of the Psalms. And then we also want to uh, talk about how we can live our lives shaped by the Psalms. So mm, yeah. why don't we go ahead and begin with the history? Right. Yeah. Because the book of Psalms is kind of a fascinating and unique part of scripture. It is. In that it's collecting the songs of praise and lament and grief and calls for justice and frustration. It's collecting all of these emotions from people across a huge span of history. Yeah. So, so most people think of David when they think of the Psalms, but mm-hmm. David is not the only author. Right. Uh, you've got Moses in Psalm 90. Which and, would have been written before the Exodus. Uh, yeah. I mean, before the Exodus or during the Exodus. Or during, right. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, depending on when you date the Exodus, because there's some debate about that. Yeah. That puts that song at around 1400 to 1200 BC. And then you you move from that to, well, yeah, you've got the, the Psalms of David, uh, but then you've got the Psalms of Asaph, who's mentioned in the book of Chronicles, which is way, way, after. <laughs> way after the Exodus, right? Yeah. And then you've got Solomon, who's David's son. And so there's some overlap because obviously right. Solomon and David live 
for a little while at the same time, but they're different kings. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what makes Psalm the Psalm so unique is that you've got all these people and all these diverse experiences mm-hmm. living in a fallen world and crying out to the same God, both with joy and with frustration and lament. And so it covers mm-hmm. a lot of ground. And like you said, I, I think a lot of us think of David when we think of the Psalms sure. and that's not totally far off. He wrote a lot of the Psalms, uh, but there is some debate about that, isn't there? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you're sitting in like your average college introduction to the old Testament classroom, um, they're going to tell you something to the effect of David, didn't write the Psalms that have his name attached to it mm. and he couldn't have. And then they'll point out the fact that in like Psalm five and Psalm 18, which talks are about the temple, right? right it, it talks about the temple and they'll say, well, David wasn't alive when the temple was built. So how could mm. David have written this? And I don't really think that's fair. Uh, the reality is that if you read Chronicles and you read the history of Israel and scripture, David had a, a pretty big part to play in gathering the materials for the temple. Right. He's perfectly aware that a temple is coming. Mm-hmm. And so it makes perfect sense that David would choose to write these songs to be sung in the temple, even if he wouldn't live to see mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's good. So I, I think I think that's kind of unfair, but that's definitely something you'll hear as people go, well, David wasn't alive during the temple, so how could he have written this? And the answer is, well, David knew a temple was coming. Yeah. And so he's writing with, with the future in mind. Yeah, and one of the interesting things about the way that David writes and composes these poems and songs is that he does them in a manner in which we can look back on them. And although David wrote some of these Psalms in response to very specific circumstances in his life, sure, we can look back and read them and go, I can identify with this. Right. So for example, Psalm 51, where it's a he, great example. Yeah. Yeah. So he is uh, writing in, in repentance to committing adultery with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. And so he is uh, clearly responding to this very specific circumstance in his life and repenting before the Lord. Uh, but he has done it in a manner in which you and I can read this and go, maybe we, I haven't done what he's we done. We haven't committed adultery right. with Bathsheba. However, in times where we need to repent and pray to the Lord, we can look back on Psalm 51 and, and these are the words given to us to pray back to the father yeah. when we are, are called to repent. Yeah. I think that's, that's the genius of the book of Psalms is that in, in one sense, they're incredibly contextual, right? Like yeah, Psalm 51 totally. is like, this was written because when, of this, because of this specific event. But even in that David doesn't get so specific that, that you could only pray this if you'd done what David had done. Right. Right. It's corporate too. The, yes. the book of Psalms is, is not just meant to be personal, but it's meant to be corporate so that, even when God's people haven't done the things David did, we can still pray David's words of repentance back to God mm. as our own repentance. Yeah. And that's the power of the Psalms is that it's incredibly specific, but it's also timeless. Yeah. And it's not context bound, even though it's it's wildly contextual. Totally. Yeah. And I like what you said about uh, just the power of the Psalms, because like we mentioned earlier, the Psalms are actually divided into five books right. within the whole book of the Psalms. And mm. so that is kind of a direct correlation between the Torah, right? right? The, so the five books of Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's almost to say that if the five books of Moses have authority, mm-hmm. then these five books the within Psalms, the Psalms yeah. also have authority. So we kind of were able to see this and go, the word of the Lord comes through laws, mm-hmm. um, but it also comes through the the form of art. Right, yeah. Um, and, and this is the thing that's so interesting is... Um, 
very often when we write songs, when we write worship songs, the temptation is to want them to be basically tight little systematic theologies. Yeah. Right. Which there's a place for that. Which is super important. Like I love the great hymns of the faith that are very systematic. Yes. Um, but but you mentioned that a little bit earlier, and then you just mentioned it again. the The structure of the Book of Psalms, when it was finally organized after the exile, it's organized as five books, like the five books of Moses, mm-hmm. as if to say these Psalms have equal authority with the five books of Moses, and the five books of Moses communicate God's law in very concrete, yes, systematic ways. Right. Do this, don't do this. Do that, don't do that. Here's how you prepare a sacrifice. Here's the things you do if you want to die, right? Like here's the, here's the, <laughs> exactly. That's how God's word comes in the book of Moses. But, but the psalmist says God's word is coming through this poetry as well. Mm. Um, God's word is mm. not just coming through systems, but it's coming through metaphor and it's coming through analogy and it's coming through art. Uh, but yet it still yeah. just as much communicates God's truth as the five books of Moses. And I think that's important for us mm. as Christians to understand in the church that God's truth doesn't come to us in one form. It doesn't just come as propositions, but it comes as poetry. So obviously the the hope in an episode like this is not just that people would listen to us talk about the Psalms, but that they would open up the book of Psalms themselves and and be shaped by it. And I think that is a really important thing to kind of acknowledge is that reading the Psalms doesn't just dump information into your head, right. uh, but it actually, <laughs> it forms you and it shapes you and it, and it uh, helps you to see the world differently. So, so what are some of the ways that you would say the Psalms can form and shape us? Yeah. So I think that the, the power of the Psalms, um, can really kind of correct maybe some of the ways that we've been, uh, subtly formed by the world. Yeah. Um, especially among those who don't believe in the authority of scripture. Right. Um, and, and maybe a couple of them, uh, could be um, like Epicureanism, for sure. example. Um, and and that's the belief that there is a God somewhere far off, but there's just this huge chasm that we are completely unreachable. Right. And there's no uh, communion, there's no connection. Right. Um, and then maybe another one would be uh, Platonism, in mm-hmm. which the world that we are living in right now is completely broken and it's kind of something that we just have to endure. And uh, escape from ultimately. And escape yeah. from ultimately because this is not, there is no glory here. Right. There's no God here. Um, and, uh, and, and we're trying to get out of and this And we're trying awful to world. escape yeah. that, right. Yeah. And But when we read the Psalms, we read that that is absolutely not true. Right. Right? Yeah. We, we can see that the earth is filled with God's glory. Right. And yes, the world is broken. Sure. Sin has corrupted the world. Mm-hmm. But God has not left us, right? right? We see the glory of the Lord in everything around us. And so this is kind of one of the ways that our worldview is formed by the word of God and specifically here in the Psalms. Yeah, and and I think you're naming these these two ideas that a lot of people, like I'm sure when they heard your definition, they went, oh, I didn't know there was a word for that, right? right. Like um, N.T. Wright is really good about bringing this out, that, that this Epicurean idea, uh, which is kind of this ancient Greek philosophy, is that God is way, way out there and has nothing to do with what's going on here. Right. And 
man, like, I don't know that anybody would walk around and be like, well, I'm an Epicurean, but, <laughs> but so many of us think like that. Sure. And, and yet it, it's contrary, exactly like you said, it's contrary to what the scriptures say, that God is distant. You can see this in, in something like Psalm 65, where mm. it says that the Lord visits the earth with water and greatly enriches it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you prepared it. Uh, you water its furrows abundantly. You set its ridges, softening it with showers, blessing it with growth. Well, that's just describing the water cycle. Yeah, right? totally. And this is God at work right. actively. So that completely contradicts the belief that the Lord is not present or that he's disconnected from creation. Right. And and, and I love that, that the psalmist is looking at what we might call natural processes and saying, actually, that's God at work. The, the world is not this clock that's working by itself while mm. God is away doing something else. But even as it rains, even as the weatherman predicts the water cycle, right? God is actually here and at work in our world. And so, I, man, I, I love that point that, that the Psalms can kind of correct these false ways of mm. viewing creation. Yeah. And how much better is it to see the world and be reminded that God is working and he is active and he's present, mm. especially in creation, yeah. right? We witness things like the water cycle or sometimes we leave the city and go into uh, the woods or the mountains yeah. or the beach even, anywhere you go. I don't know, to me, it's just evidence that our creator has very purposefully made everything right. and is at work actively. Sustaining and, sustaining and, 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 and guiding all, and governing, yeah. And all the intricate little details. And, and this is the sort of thing that we can read in the Psalms mm -hmm. and then we can look out the window and see it happening right in our very eyes or before our very eyes and yeah yeah I the other thing that I think is is really helpful about the Psalms is that the, the book of Psalms helps us to understand the work of Jesus better mm. um, and that may seem strange because obviously Jesus is not mentioned by name in any of the Psalms but we talked about this earlier, that the book of Psalms is the part of the Old Testament that Jesus quotes more than any other. Yeah. Um, I think it's Tim Keller who has this year-long devotional called The Songs of Jesus. Mm, yeah. Because the reality is Jesus being raised during the cultural moment that he was in, in Jewish society. He would have known every single, right? Yeah, he would have known all of them. He would have sung them from, from the earliest days of his life. Yeah. And so Jesus viewed both the world and his mission in the world through the lens of the Psalms. And, yeah. and you see it in Jesus's own ministry, right? right? When he's on the cross, he begins quoting Psalm 22. My right. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? me? Yeah. Which we should totally talk about that on uh, Good Friday because I think people yeah. get that wrong. People get that wrong. They think that the father's turning his back on Jesus right. and cutting him off. And um, we'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Writes this yeah, down put, really quick. <laughs> put a pin in it. We'll post this episode. Hold us accountable to yeah. talking about the cry of dereliction. Definitely. Um, but we see in the New Testament that the Psalms are quoted even in the beginning of the early church. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, Peter quotes from Psalm 2. In Acts in, 4. In Acts 4, right? And and Psalm 2 talks about the coronation of the Davidic king. Right. And Peter points to that and goes, that was talking about Jesus. Right. Jesus right. is the king, the true son of David. And yes. and everything Psalm 2 says... It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, you know, very often I think evangelicals are really bad about splitting up the Old and the New Testament. Yeah. And we're like, you know, we're a new covenant people and, and that Old Testament stuff is fine if you want to look over it, but you don't really <laughs> need that to understand Jesus. But Jesus actually says you do. Yeah, Jesus himself... 
knew everything in the Old Testament. Right. He, uh, like you said, from the early days of his life, he had been trained up um, in the Jewish tradition. Right. And so he was very aware of, especially the Psalms. Right. And he conceives of his mission in the world. Yes. In light of what the Psalms say about the world. Right. And so if we want to understand the mission and the ministry of Jesus, we actually have to do that through the Psalms. Mm. So it's really important to be formed in that way as well. So while we're talking about reading the Psalms uh, Christologically, mm-hmm. um, that leads me to a question that I've had, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners m- might have had in the past or have now as we talk through all the Psalms. Um, when we encounter Psalms like uh, chapter 109 or chapter 137, these are... Those are so intense. These yeah. are kind of intense. Yeah. Um, and I know that they are known as the imprecatory Psalms. Right. Um, so they are distinct um, and they are a little intense. Uh, yeah. So how do we think about Psalms like these uh, Christologically? S- since we're talking about how uh, they're directly related to Jesus sure. and the work of his ministry. Yeah. Um, Obviously, Jesus had something to do with these, right? right? So how do we how do we make that connection? Yeah, so um, sometimes these are called the imprecatory psalms. Sometimes they're just called the curse psalms yeah. <laughs> um, because they're calling down curses on God's enemies. And I mean, even somebody like C.S. Lewis, right, who we, we yeah. already said we, we named this show after it. C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. looks at these and he's like, yeah, these shouldn't be in the Bible. Um, so this is an area where I, I would just disagree with C.S. Lewis, yeah. but you can feel why he might've felt that way because they're really harsh. You know, yeah. it's bash in the teeth of the merciless, right. um, you know, cut off their, their generations from the earth. Um, and I think sometimes we can pit Jesus's comment about loving our enemies yeah. against these Psalms and go, well, how are we loving our enemies if we're praying God's judgment? But, right. and that's why I asked the question because right. I think a lot of us will read that and go, huh? Yeah, how does this work? Well, and I think one one of the helpful things that I've just thought about as I looked at these psalms is whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, or whenever we pray with uh, Paul, come Lord Jesus, yeah. uh, we're actually calling for God's judgment. Mm. Um, because when Jesus comes back, he he's not just bringing peace, but he's bringing judgment. judgment. And so even to, to long for the second coming of Christ— is to long for God to bring his judgment against what has destroyed God's world. Mm. And so the Psalms are maybe doing that in a different key, but they're not doing anything different than than what we do when we long for Christ's return. Right, it's no yeah. contradiction. No, it's definitely not a contradiction. And I do think it's important that when we look at some of the imprecatory Psalms, um, that we are recognizing that we are calling out for God's justice against evil. Mm. We're not calling out for God's justice against people who inconvenience us. <laughs> right. right. There's a very big difference. Right. You're not, you should not, I, I'm not going to say you're not, because I'm sure somebody out there has done it, but you should not <laughs> be praying the imprecatory Psalms when somebody cuts you off in traffic. Right. Right. right? But in the face of evil, right. things like racism, right. uh, corruption, human trafficking, yeah. greed, things right. that are very clearly evil and contradict the will of God. Right. Uh, that stuff is obviously where we want to place that emphasis. Right, yeah. There's a, there's an article we both read, I think, over at the Gospel Coalition. It talks yes. about the imprecatory Psalms as like the nuclear option, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> this is this is what God's people pray in the face of absolute and utter evil. But but it's important to recognize that, that we're asking for God's justice here. 
Right. Right. We're not taking not it own. into our own hands. We're not doing anything like that. Um, I love what our friend David Taylor says in his book on the Psalms. He's got this chapter on enemies mm, and he talks yeah. about some of these um, imprecatory Psalms. And he says it's it's important to be clear about the purpose of enemy language in Psalms. Yeah. Its purpose is to remind us that the violent and sinful ways of human beings, including our own violent and sinful ways, need to be named so that God can step in and do something about it. Praying right. against one's enemies is most emphatically not licensed to do violence to others, nor is it an invitation to indulge in our irresponsible desires to call anybody we don't like an enemy. Mm. And I think that covers so much ground, right? Because Definitely. Because these psalms are not about us going, hey, we've got to do something about this. It's about us saying... God needs to do something about right, this. Come, Lord Jesus, Absolutely. right? Bring your justice to your world. Mm. So good. So in light of all these things that we have learned about the history of the Psalms, uh, their significance, um, and the way that we can think about them in a Christological manner, mm-hmm. where do we start being shaped by the Psalms, right? Because ultimately the goal, like we stated earlier, is not to just kind of fill our head with knowledge, uh, but actually doing something with that and applying it in our lives. And so um, like we said earlier, our hope is for uh, our listeners and for ourselves. I mean, this is something that we have to work on every day, right? To be shaped by these Psalms. So right. Travis, how do you, how do you think that someone should start? I mean, the, the first bit of advice I think is uh, just take up and read, right? Like just yeah. pick up your Bible and read one Psalm a day every day. And then when you finish, <laughs> start over again. Right. <laughs> um, maybe two Psalms a day if you're yeah. trying to do it quickly, but obviously that's kind of like, I don't know. That's like cheesy church answer, right? Like read your Bible and pray. Yeah. Um, but there've been some real, I mean, one, that's, that's a cliche church answer because it's true. Mm. Um, but there have been some helpful guides along the way. I think of like the, the book of common prayer, which is from our Anglican friends has a really great reading plan for how to make it through the whole book of Psalms in, I think it's, I think it's once a month. Okay. Um, so if you look up the book of common prayer online, Mm. there's a Psalms reading plan that I think can help you kind of cycle through the Psalms. Okay. Um, cool. On, on your end as a musician, obviously they, they were originally written to be set yeah. to music. So how do we kind of recapture the musical element? Definitely. Of Psalms? So I think, um, there are very good resources out there for how to incorporate the Psalms, even in, in our worship and in our music. So, um, Shane and Shane is a worship team from Texas, yeah, Dallas, Texas. Um, and they've put out two records where it is just solely hymns or not hymns, uh, psalms dang it that's not true that's not false though they did (laughs) what i am they did do a hymns record Um, (laughs) um no but they have exclusive uh, albums just about the the psalms and uh those are very very good um we've done them before in Mm -hmm. our student ministries and our main services and yeah they're great resources um let's see um sandra mccracken has Mm. put out an album uh i think in 2015 about the psalms that's awesome So uh, she's incredible. I definitely recommend her music. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the more that you read the Psalms, Mm -hmm. the more that you are able to pick them out in worship music. So there are so many just worship songs that we, I don't know, that we are familiar with. And then you learn the the songs and you learn the lyrics. And then when you read the Psalms, Mm -hmm. you find them in there and you make that connection. You're like, oh, that's that's from the Psalms. And like I said earlier, as a musician, uh, the Psalms are a foundation right. for our worship, yeah. I believe. And so when you make that your base, um, 
So, uh, what a lot of artists have done is go to the Psalms first or mm. really any parts of scripture and they are able to turn them into songs of praise and worship. And, and so there are so many songs out there that reference Psalms, even if the whole song is not a Psalm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, so I, I think of uh, the, the classic like nineties worship song, the better is one day in your courts. Yeah. From thousand. And that was one of those songs that like I knew growing up in church. Yes. And then when my high school pastor said, you should read the Psalms, it was like, Oh my gosh. That That's exactly what I mean is there are songs that you become familiar with in a worship setting. Yeah. And then you dive into scripture mm-hmm. and you find them there and you're like, that's, I know that. Um, and yeah, so another example is uh, Rivers and Robots. They oh, have yeah, a song called killer. Satisfy. Mm. Um, and it is about Psalm uh, 16. Psalm okay. 16. Cool. Yep. Um, so there's obviously there's a ton of resources for actually setting the Psalms to music. Yes. And, and all different kinds of music, right? Rivers and Robots is not the same as Sandra McCracken, is not the same right. as San- Shannon Shane. These are different musical expressions of the, the song book of scripture. Yeah, definitely. And if I can reference one more, people in songs have a really good song called mm. Let Revival Come. Yeah. Um, in one of the verses, they reference uh, Psalm 23. Oh, yeah. Um, and even though I walk through the valley, I don't have to fear or something like that. And, and it's just great. So yeah. like I said, once you become immersed in the Psalms, yeah. um, you're able to make so many connections. Mm. Um, and so to me, that's really valuable. Yeah. Um, and so that's a really great way to uh, just really be shaped by the Psalms is to kind of learn them, memorize them, uh, listen to, to worship that incorporates the Psalms and, yeah. and you'll begin to make connections. It's, it's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think in all of this, uh, our, our goal is to be more like Christ and Christ lived this Psalm shaped life. Yeah. And we as Christ people desire to live a psalm-shaped life. And one of the things that I, I love so much about uh, church history is that Christians throughout history have done this, right? There are totally. uh, uh, traditions, our, our friends in the Roman Catholic tradition read a psalm every single week in worship. Same with the Anglicans, same with our Lutheran friends. There are Christians in monasteries that pray through the entire book of Psalms every day. Yeah. Um, and that's, so that's something we've lost as evangelicals, but it's something we need to recover because we want to be shaped like the Psalms, just like Jesus was shaped by the Psalms. And, and so our encouragement to you is to, to take up and read, to dive into the prayer book of scripture and see how God forms you as you pray his words back to him. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of The Stone Table. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and rate and subscribe and tell your friends about the show. That helps us to get the word out. Also, you can follow us at The Stone Table Podcast on Instagram for some behind the scenes and some sneak peeks about some of the guests that we have coming up this season. Finally, we would love to hear from you. So if you've got questions or topics that you'd like to see us tackle on the show, you can reach out to us at thestonetable at baylife.org. For Baylife Church, I'm Travis, and this is The Stone Table.